we can't dictate to young people what they're going to be into. Do you know what I mean? So I feel it's always important to just listen to their narratives and understand how they ended up in this situation or and how they end up with these sentiments or these feelings and try not to look at things in isolation. Can we agree that leadership isn't based on title or position? I have created this podcast to talk to everyday people who lead in extraordinary ways in their everyday lives, both professionally and personally, in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. Today's guest is someone who hardly gives interviews, yet he is one of the power players behind the music scene in the UK. He is the one and only Quabs Aim, who is the CEO of Mixtape Madness, even though he hates that terminology. And in today's episode, we talk about empowering a team, especially empowering a very young team, because that's what he's done at Mixtape Madness. He has given them the authority and the leverage to just go ahead and to create and to design. And together they have built an amazing business for the last 10 years. We talk about marriage, we talk about relationships, talk about parenthood and how his kids have actually helped him to be able to communicate better with music artists. We delve into drill music, rehabilitation, disproportionate sentencing, not judging book by its cover, and so much more as always. Let's jump into it. This is Everyday Leadership. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Quab's Uncle Quabs, the man behind Mixtape Madness, who's currently running things at the moment. How are you doing, my brother? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Very well. I can't complain. Um, yeah, it's been a, a, a great journey in many respects. And do hold the whole podcast thing too frequently, but you're definitely someone I personally have a lot of respect for and look up to. So I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way real quick levels one even though you know we're definitely not like the best of friends per se pleasure of knowing each other through, through a mutual friend but the encounters that we did have I always kind of felt that they were you know impactful and meaningful and I say that because even me entering into fatherhood you know you're one of the first examples I had in relation to that journey and I just had a lot of respect with the way you kind of conducted yourself as a father and, you know, I took the odd note here and there. And then um, even when, you know, I was going through the transition into entrepreneurship, I was still st um, studying SEMA. And, you know, the time when I was kind of struggling with that, and then I kind of, um, and for those of you that don't, don't, aren't aware, that's like an accounting exam. <laughs> so, and Shopee was kind of like definitely one of my go-to. And I... I know that you could you used to find me a bit annoying because I used to ask you questions and to you though they, they were like basic questions. Nah, not even at all, bro. Not even at all. But because I didn't have like an accounting background, I was asking them like so I used to kind of always help show people, you'd always kind of make time for me and come back to me on my small little questions and that. So um yeah, man, like um definitely grateful in that respect, because obviously show Pierre kind of qualified and done the dance long before. Um, I, I, I'd even start walking down them pastures. And I appreciate you saying that, bro. I forgot all about that. Feels like a lifetime ago, you know. 
So for those who don't know, when did Mixtape Madness actually start? What's the origin story behind you guys? Yeah, collectively, what, um, 2010, um, Eddie, Andy, Kingsley, Maz, um, myself kind of really brought this um, idea into the whole public space, as it were. It originally started as a mixtape website. You know, we always used to kind of see our competition as that piff. Um, with the aim of like producing a UK version of that piff, as it were, and in many respects, I believe we accomplished that goal. And then with time, you know, a few guys had kind of left um, and went on to kind of engage in their own endeavors, for which they've all been very successful in. And I still stay in contact with them today. And so it kind of just got to a stage where. Yeah, we we were in a bit of a kind of like a transitional phase. So we could kind of see that the market was kind of going away from people downloading mixtapes um, and a lot more people kind of engaging in visuals. Um, so we tried one or two experiments in the whole visual landscape. So I tried a, an interview format, did Hot Seat Madness with Kenny Allstar. Um, we had done Mike Merkers and so on and so forth. Then Eddie managed to kind of establish um, a relationship with someone who was doing rather well in YouTube from outside London called Oscar. And then, you know, we had the whole Man About Mixtapes come into play. And then we brought that into Mixtape Madness, as it were. Um, and got the SoundCloud popping via that avenue as well. And I guess when, because Kenny and myself had kind of formed a very strong relationship, so in the early stages of his career, we'd been working very closely. Um, he had kind of hit me up and said, like, Quabs, yeah, like, do you want to come and maybe record one of my freestyle sessions, as it were, and then filming them in Represent? And we were like, hmm, there's something to this, but we kind of make it look a bit different. And I think we went away, we kind of brainstormed, um, Dan came up with a name Man About Bars um, and my whole thing is like how do we bring this to the dance because uh, there was a lot of freestyles and some, certain times those freestyles were on some mad crazy lyrical depth which is cool but it, we didn't really feel that any of the freestyle platforms were kind of representing that next generation and the vibe that they're on and one thing I've always known about um, music from our culture is that it, in order for it to, to really be thrive, it always needs to have a place in a dance, if that makes sense. Even when you're looking back at, you know, swing, drive, um, you talk about um, R&B, or you're talking about garage, jungle, you're talking about grime, you know, they're, they're all dance forms that could kind of live in the dance as well. So we were like, this generation have got a sound, and if we can produce freestyles that can... Have the some of them will have the depth, but some of them are made to kind of listen, live in a dance. We make sure the audio quality looks good, and aesthetically, we need to make sure that it looks high quality and different to any other freestyle platform that you've seen. So then we kind of got um, TZ on board to kind of help us with that process, and I feel that that helped us kind of take it to another level um, as a company. But then I, you know, I feel as a company, we're still a very kind of 
juvenile phase in our inception. Um, myself, I was still kind of working um, a full-time, you know, full-time job, as it were. Um, we didn't really have, like, office space where a team of us were working or anything to that effect. Um, we Then, so, I guess around 2017, um, yeah, we kind of then brought on some really, really powerful, dynamic staff. No, in fact, even before that, sorry, before that, yeah, we kind of brought on some really dynamic staff, such as Bills, Nal, um, Riley, and then you got Oscar there. Um, and I think, so coming into 2017, that's when we decided to really kind of get our own office space. Well, Bills was a massive advocate for that. And from there, we kind of really took the business up a level. And that's why I think for myself, I don't really try to hold on to um, any kind of C-suite or kind of like capo type um, titles because I'm such a firm believer that teamwork makes the dream work. And I just give thanks that I've managed to, to meet a really talented bunch of young people um, who are kind of like almost in some extent martyrs for their culture. Or maybe that's a bit strong, but they're, yeah, they've just got an unapologetic passion for the music and the culture, but they've also got some snazzy business acumen to what they're doing as well. So my job is kind of just to kind of act as the glue between all of them and make sure that from a commercial and viable commercial sense, it makes sense so that we can grow, everyone gets paid and then we, we were then in a position to kind of transition to then have, you know, payroll, put in a finance infrastructure, um, a soft HR infrastructure and so on and so forth. Um, so the young man Riley kind of came across a song called Gentleman, which kind of helped take the channel to another level. Um, and in the meantime, like Bills and Bills and now were kind of working relentless in bringing high quality visual content to the platform as well. So just a lot of things were falling into place. Um, but even before you even say that, you talked about the, you've kind of let the team just go ahead and do their thing and you've let them play to their strengths. But how did you have that like confidence or even develop the relationship with them in the first place and then have that confidence to be like, you lot just going to do what you guys do best? I'm going to fall back and, and take care of these side of things. No, I think um, it's kind of like just looking at it and understanding where the gaps are and how best those gaps need to be filled. And when you meet people that can fill it, the job then is to kind of empower them and you still have to kind of manage the situation. So ever since Mixtape Madness has started, I always had a tradition, like even in like 2010, where, you know, we'd have the weekly meetings um, we're delegating tasks. We're trying to keep it lean as possible so it's not too rigid, but at the same time, um, just have enough structure there to kind of have soft goals that we aim to achieve. Um, I think a lot of stuff I've learned as a financial analyst I brought into play as well, trying to always set soft financial targets um, and leveraging debt. I think that's the, one of the, the key things that, I managed to do to kind of accelerate growth, understanding that maybe debt makes more sense than giving away equity, um, flipping that debt, um, and yeah, yeah, flipping that debt and taking it forward from there. So 
yeah, I think then I think our like a real golden period for us was like um yeah, that twenty eighteen year where the team really starts to I feel that like we took the transition from maybe from like a family to transitioning from a family to a village, let's say. Right? And then now the village is on the verge of getting into that township or we're competing with townships and cities in our small village position. And um, that was definitely felt like it was 2010. And I think that year we saw something like 600% growth, um, literally just because I feel we were a cohesive team, no egos, everyone was just battling for the same goal. And we were all just making mad sacrifices. Like we were all, to some degree, I'll say, yeah, we were all kind of underpaid and so including myself, um, you know, you all kind of envisage it. Like 2017, uh, my wife, um, yeah, my wife is carrying, well, we've got, me and my wife, we've got a child together and I'm telling her, darling, I'm going to stop the whole um, SEMA exams um, and I'm going to quit my job. And I was kind of in line to oversee a finance team or part of the finance team. Um, and I just made a decision like, no, nah, I want to do mixtape manners full time. And I'm, my paycheck, no exaggeration, had dropped down to like a quarter of what it was when I was in my finance role. So that's a very difficult conversation. And just massive respect to my wife as well, because by default at that stage, she then slips into that breadwinner role, as it were. Um, and so in a way, in a way, she plays a massive, she played a key part in allowing me that freedom to kind of do what I need to do. Wait, 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 wait. Let's let's just let's just rewind that a bit. How did you navigate that that conversation? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, she kind of saw how dedicated I was and how passionate I was with it, and she would see me basically doing two jobs because she seen me go come home from work, and then like I'm literally just. Obviously, you're doing the family time, but really, I'm doing a lot of the MM time. And then, even when I'm at MM, like my lunch, I mean, even when I was at the nine to five, on my lunch breaks, or I'd have two tabs open on my computer. So, I think the one good thing about finance is like, once you get into the routine of doing things and you know what your deadlines are, you can really be efficient in meeting your deliverables from whether it's month end reconciliation or compiling business packs or having client meetings, um, once you're in the habit of it, you can be really efficient with it. So it kind of gave me the ability to kind of juggle both. So I just remember kind of selling people mixtape packages, let's say around 2010, in the toilets, and then coming out and then putting on my um, professional voice to kind of talk to the FD about our trade debtors position. So... Yeah, it was it was crazy. Like literally, you have them days where you're feeling a bit bipolar because one minute um, I'm on I'm on the phone in the toilet, and I'm like, "Yo, bro, like, what going, fam? Like, boom, man, you're good for that upload. Like, it's on time, it's scheduled." Then you're coming out like, "Yeah, so guys, um, with regards to the KPIs for our client, I feel that you know." the profit margin is looking a bit slim this quarter. So you're kind of navigating, it feels like you're navigating two worlds, um, as it were. So, yeah, we've gone full. So when I've gone full time, 
Um, got a small office in Tottenham and literally just working there with the guys. Um, I think mainly, well, no, 2017, sorry. We've got an office and, um, so mainly, mainly Bills and Norway in office. And, um, yeah, but we'll try to get everyone in the office in and around on like a Monday. Then come, I think 2017, 2018 times, we've kind of then really cemented the team. We've got fads on board. We've got um, Gus and Jeff on board as well. And, you know, then we're really entering kind of like this dream team phase. And that's why that year we kind of hit like 600% growth. How old on, on average are your team? I think, yeah, all like early 20s. So definitely... We, we kind of took it to a, another level um, and that kind of allowed us to set up more commercial opportunities for us in 2019, as it were, and fast track to 2020. Um, we give thanks, you know, we're still growing um, and we're still moving forward. Now we're bringing through like a, a next generation as well. Um and again, we're just kind of always trying to understand our market, um, service our market, and seeing, looking forward to like the next windows of opportunity. Because like I said, we started off as a mixtape website. Um, we've kind of pivoted to engage with activities on YouTube. And then now, I'll say if you look under the bonnet, um, neither of those stories are key revenue drivers, but... If I was to go into the key revenue drivers now on this call, then, boy, I'd be giving away too much. So let me not talk too much. Now, that journey sounds um, amazing over the last 10 years, starting from uploading mixtapes to now being a business that invests in artists, actually, and grows artists. And obviously, you've got, the, you've got a deal as well, a distribution deal as well with um, Caroline International. Yeah. So... But why did you decide to go into into mixtapes? Like even when you started, I think because you know I've always viewed mixtapes as being so unapologetic, undiluted, and they give you a real insight into a chapter of that artist's life or of their career. So that was for me personally. That's why I've always been kind of attached to mixtapes. And I remember when I was at uni, the mixtapes I used to get me through it. Do you know what I mean? And then when you get to an artist album, a lot of artists, I feel album phase, maybe they didn't necessarily hit the nail on the head because they had to be a bit more polished, a bit more refined. They're maybe chasing a bit more of a mainstream bag where the mixtapes mix at a particular time, they were the key marketing tool for artists to kind of get themselves out there, to get their sound out there, to build their fan base, as it were. And for them to kind of... Um, experiment in many in many respects so i feel mixtapes played such a massive and important part of um emerging artists careers and i feel mixtapes have taken different forms because i feel a mixtape also same served the same purpose as um pirate radio station sets so when i'm in secondary school i'm recording the likes of DW on Deja Vu 92.3 with Nasty Crew, or I'm recording sets on Heat FM, as it were. Then once I record on my t- um, my cassette, I've, I use my cassette player. I play it on my way to school. So, yeah, that 
it's it's kind of that um it's those nostalgic memories really that kind of triggered my passion in relation to the whole mixtapes side of things and i feel now they've maybe taken a slightly different um evolution where whereby artists now use mediums like youtube for example to kind of act as their marketing tool to get themselves out there as it were so they'll do videos um not expecting to, or at a time they were doing a lot of videos not expecting to necessarily secure the bag from them but to kind of promote themselves get themselves out there um before they get into full project mode and even now i think music videos act as such a key marketing tool for people's albums projects and singles um so i feel in some respects mixtape culture even though it's not what it was before um this it is the same logic behind them still exists in the mentality of artists today in terms of giving away so before i guess you're giving away free music where now i feel they're still doing some level of giving away as it were in terms of their visuals and so on and so forth but due to streaming um yeah due to streaming i guess now artists can kind of monetize music at a lot earlier stage in their career and they're now kind of just jumping on it and rocking on with that at full throttle so speaking of um youtube you guys just recently hit one million subscribers congratulations are those kind of numbers important to you no uh yeah i think numbers are vanity metrics if you don't know what you're comparing it to so we could say i could say um a million pounds a million pound in profitability is good for me right but really only un- but as you know um if you look under the bonnet and really due to inefficient cost management your profitability really should have been about 5 mil but you made a few bad investments as it were there maybe 1 mil's not that great but 1 mil might be great if you know, year, the year before, you were projected to make, um, or you were only projecting to make maybe a fraction of that, and then you hit that target. So when you ask me about a million subscribers, I think, yeah, it's a great accomplishment to know that a million people have subscribed to our YouTube channel to see our content. But for me, um, the key the key thing I take joy from is just seeing artists ascertain success from our platform. Um, you know, having a song on our, hearing that um, an artist did 30 million views on our platform, got a six-figure deal, um, moved his mum and his whole family out of their current settings. You have transitioned their life from you know maybe getting in, getting on the wrong side of the law to getting onto the correct side of the law and having more ambition, eradicating that poverty of ambition. Things like that make me happy. Do you know what I mean? Those success stories gas me up. Like, and that's why I, I kind of just, I like to celebrate growth as opposed to the static number, if that makes sense. Um, that's the thing that gasses me up or makes me happy. And how have you nurtured relationships? Because listening to you talking, even how you talk about you and Kenny Oster, for example, coming together, or the people you currently have working in Mixtape Madness, 
it's a relationship game, but obviously there are a lot of times when you reach out to people, people might ignore you or you might get one bad interaction. So how have you managed to develop a really great relationship? Because everyone, anytime you mention your name, it was like, yep, Quab's a great guy, yep. So you managed to do something which not a lot of people have in the industry. I think, to be honest, I think that's one element of my character that just might be a bit natural, as it were. So... My brother used to just bang out, going to networking events as well. And ironically, my brother is younger than me, but sometimes he moves like he's a bit older than me. So <laughs> all the stages in my life anyway, where he definitely moved with a bit more maturity than I have. So he was um, always going to kind of networking events, as it were. Um, and then I used to kind of tag along to that one or two of them. But I always remember when he went to one and um, they was talking about your network being your net worth. And I think that term has always just kind of been ingrained in my head, like your network is your net worth. Um, and there was a guy who was like, earn, learn, and return. And I, I don't even remember the speaker's name, but I just remember hearing that, earn, learn, and return. And I thought, yeah, that's a mantra that I want to kind of live by and carry on. So merging your network is your net worth. Earn, no, sorry, it was learn, earn, and return. That's it, it was learn, earn, and return. So I kind of feel like, I'm a student to my craft, first and foremost. Then after being a student to my craft, um, I want to grow from there. And after I grow from there, um, I want to kind of empower others. And I've always, I studied economics and business finance, and I've always been into kind of building, I've always wanted to just kind of build um ecosystems and small economies as it were and i feel low-key via mixtape madness i've been able to accomplish that and so sorry back to your original question in terms of um how do i maintain and foster them yeah I, I, like i feel in a way i just feel it's kind of natural now and but even myself i could probably do a lot better i could probably keep a little journal or a little reminder for some people i could touch base with um, and before, I used to kind of always send out Christmas cards and to relevant stakeholders and on their birthdays and so on and so forth. Um, try to keep the lines of communication open where possible without compromising my own personal deliverables. Um, but yeah, I think just being a people person, there's something innate and natural about it. And I can't quite put my finger on what that is. So as you're building villages and communities and you're getting bigger do you also get involved with like educating artists on like being financially secure on tax investments different things like that yeah or i put them in contact with people that can so there's definitely a massive lesson in kind of in a way now especially with social media sometimes we don't necessarily value support infrastructures so like what the value of hr finance um and so on and so forth and i feel it's just those key things that i try to kind of share with artists like the importance of building a team in terms of finance explaining little just the smallest little things like if you're if as an artist you know you're generating over 85k in income through any company that you set up then technically you're, you know you're meant to be that registered and so on and so forth yeah, kind of putting them in contact with the relevant financial advisors, accountants, all the lessons that I've kind of learned in my career 
or financial background, I'm always trying to impart that knowledge, um, get them in the habit of thinking about passive income, understanding that um, the life cycle of music, as it were, and the importance of income diversification. Yeah, these are just innate conversations that I'm having with artists all of the time. All of the time. How easy are those conversations, especially with a lot of the artists that you tend to deal with, we come from a different background. And the way we've approached finances and numbers is not necessarily... There's not been a great amount of education around those those kind of elements, to be honest. That's a, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's that's a very valid point, and um, it's a fair point. And I think, really, all you're ever doing is just trying to communicate to someone in their own language, as it were. And I think that's one thing Mixing Manus has definitely allowed me to do is to kind of just stay in connection with kind of grassroots grassroots element of communities as it were and young people as it were and um even prior to life of mixtape madness um I, I i used to kind of do a lot of youth work so i worked at Haringey young people empowered um i've done like loads oh, there was just so many different tribal organizations i think the one time we were doing something called Safam and so on and so forth so i'm always kind of had this, always been involved in kind of like mentoring or empowering and educating young people. And I think one thing, or one thing that kind of gave me a massive boost in communication was becoming a parent. And I think in becoming a parent, it's all, it, it really dawns on you that, you know, before you're a parent, you feel that it's your responsibility to teach your child. But it's only when you have the child, you kind of realize like, it's such a two-way relationship and that I learn from them as much as they learn from me. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just little things like when you first have a baby and the amount of growth that baby does in one year, their, their scope for learning is phenomenal. Do you know what I mean? And I, I used to draw so much inspiration from that. Do you know what I mean? And just seeing them always persevere, like their level of perseverance as well. I used to just take so much from that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, parenthood definitely helped in terms of my communication skills and trying to explain maybe certain important life skills that artists need to kind of elongate their wallets, as it were, or elongate their finances. Um, and one thing I'd kind of always understood is that the environment or the, the environments that we're from, they they just always tended to be like a poverty of ambition. Um, and a poverty of ambition would mean that like you, you're constantly seeking instant gratification. Um, so you're not necessarily thinking about the medium to long run. And so I've always been one where, and that's why, again, I feel I enjoy mixtapes. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to, or working on projects as opposed to singles. Because a single, you, you, you can turn that off, bish bash, bish bash bong. But when you're work, working on a project, you know, it feels like there's a longer cycle to it. There's more of a planning process to it. Um, there's more of a journey attached to it, as it were. And I feel working on projects in many respects 
will help a dedicated artist think about more of the the long run structure. And also, whenever an artist generates revenue through mixtape madness, you know, I've always been very transparent, very transparent with regards to you know financial reports and so on and so forth. And then whenever they feel they don't understand something, I bring them to the office. I talk them through it. Um, if there's any discrepancies or misunderstanding. So in many respects, I encourage artists to look at themselves as businesses. And I feel that the industry hasn't encouraged them to do that enough. And so in looking at themselves as businesses, I feel it gets them the mind, rate, mind frame of surviving longer and understanding the importance of building a team. So if you're an artist and, you know, you are purely passionate about the creative side of it, there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to have a manager who's there beside you to optimize your business or to optimize you as a business. You two need to have a strong working relationship. So, again, it's, it's that level of um, teamwork makes the dream work. And I think the other fascinating thing is I've seen so many transition stories in this that, I feel guilty if I don't share it with other emerging artists because when you see one artist kind of transition from um, their kind of hostile, cancellous state, mind frame and dwellings into kind of them becoming a professional artist and building a career, um, yeah, man, it makes me smile and I'm, I'm always happy to see that. Um, and I think that was one of the interesting elements of 2018 when they were really aggressively trying to shut down drill music and I had to go to that, I had to go to the house of parliament. I had to kind of do this petition and do this protest. And I think my key, the, my, my key point was, has just always been that we can't dictate to young people what they're going to be into. Do you know what I mean? So I feel it's always important to just listen to their narratives and understand how they ended up in this situation or and how they end up with these sentiments or these feelings and try not to look at things in isolation. So I would always go to Parliament. Like if I'm going to whether it's Parliament or anything to that effect, I'll come equipped with stats. So I think I went to like a meeting in 2019 and I said, like, look, in The Economist, um, The Economist, November 2018, they kind of touched on how... Um, Rehabilitation centres for Class A drug users had shut down significantly in the UK, but supply from um, South America had dramatically increased, right? So, that, and our economy was already going through a bit of a, well, you would know better than myself, Shopee, was already going through a bit of a, um, a wobbly one, as it were. Um, so I'm like, fine, we're saying that the youth, youth unemployment has gone significantly down and we know that that's going to disproportionately affect working class ethnic minority young people but we're also saying um certain um illegal substances are have increased in terms of demand and supply and due to people some people say you know there were police cuts and so on and so forth more people are getting away with it then surely this is going to foster its own type of economy in certain working class environments and i feel that you know then that kind of produces an increased volume of young people that engage in these activities and that was just reflected through their music so i feel 
the music just kind of um, should open up society's eyes to kind of like wider social problems. And the fact that the minute these young guys get a chance, the minute they get a chance to make a transition, they grab it with two hands, illustrates that they don't want to be, they don't want to do this. They don't want to be in that lifestyle long term. I hope that answers your question. I think I look you that digressive. No, but you actually touched a very good point, actually, because when you talk about drill music, you talk about the lyrics that are being used. I'm interested to see what your point of view on this is, because obviously we know that courts are, are using, relying heavily on the lyrics from drill to criminalise and to focus specifically on people from our communities. So would you ever advise an artist to either change their lyrics or to tone it down or whatever, just in case it might be used against them? To be honest, we, we had to do a lot of that, but I think the real issue is, is the relativity. And the problem is, is that, it, for example, it, it can differ from borough to borough, from different parts of the country to different parts of the country. And because different young people have different laws in place against them, so some young people have been issued with like criminal behavioural orders. But again, it's relative because, for example, a young guy in Haringey might say exactly the same thing and might have the exact same rap sheet as someone in um, Luton, for example. But maybe the police in Luton have aggressively and have aggressively been in the borough of, or not. So let me not use Luton. Let's say Lambeth, for example. The, the Borough of Lambeth have been aggressively pushing for more CBOs to be issued, that would mean the young people in Lambeth are more restricted in what they can say in comparison to the young people in Harringay, if that makes sense. So then as a result of that, you've got um, an unfair justice system, if that makes sense. So in terms of how lyrics are used against them um, in court, again, it's, there's so much relativity in application and, um, yeah, in, in, in how it's applied, but also in sentencing as well. So it's very difficult, like, it's very difficult for me to kind of just have a blanket rule over over all rappers, but I do kind of give them a heads up, like, look, this is what's happening and so on and so forth. Um, the other issue is that certain times we underestimate or we overestimate my ability to understand every single local political situation that's occurring, right? So a, a rapper might have a bar, for example, put a hole in a donut at Krispy, put a hole in a donut like Krispy Kremes. And I would have no idea what that relates to. I just think it's a, it's a random lyric. In the same way, a gram artist back in the day can say, it's me again, it's me again. I'll put your life to an end. Like in terms of aggression, we could argue the gram, the gram rapper's lyric is far worse, for example. But what certain boroughs will do is like, no, they'll come back and say like, right, that video or that lyric um, in that video connects to an incident that happened at Krispy Kremes in Enfield. And that's why that lyric or this video can't stay up. I wouldn't have that level of oversight on the situation across the whole of the UK. I would, I'm never going to have that level of oversight. Um, so it's very difficult to kind of, um, it's very difficult to kind of, understand what is directly connect, connected to something and what is just a blase lyric. Um, but of course, yeah, we've we've always made us aware that, look, if you've got criminal behavioural order or you're saying too, like, don't say too, too much. If you're all telling me that, you know, 
you're on this no snitching lifestyle, then don't snitch on yourself, basically. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's not rocket science, that one there still. So, um, yeah. But I just said, but the reason why I bring up the CBOs and the relativity is because some young people have a much harder time navigating the legal system than we would imagine. Um, and I think we take it for granted. Like, if you've never been, once you're in the system, what I've learned from this experience is that it's extremely difficult to get out of it. You'll need an element of luck, an element of crazy self-discipline um, to kind of navigate around it. So, for example, I've come across artists where, you know, they've come out on license and part of their license conditions, they can't even go and visit their own mum. Does that make sense? They can't go back to their family home because they've been maybe barred from that area and then they've been moved to an area where they, they don't know anyone but it's just as active as the area that they've come from. Does that make sense? And so what's the psychological navigation there? Like, I can't even sit with my mum in her own family home. And then, oh, I've come across um, other rappers where they've had, like... And have you seen Palestine Borders before? No. Uh, so, like, one of, the, one of the complaints, I guess, you know, I, again, I'm not from that side of the world and I'm definitely not taking sides, but... In Palestine, one of the main um, criticisms of some of the Palestinian people is that the border restriction they have is too rigid. So basically, to cross the road, they have to kind of go all the way around and to come back in. And some of these like CBO conditions are a bit like that. And the issue is they're criminal behavioral orders, and it's just a, a specific law that's been designed for you. But bear in mind, someone in the countryside could, could commit the same crime and they don't, they're not given that CBO, as it were. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's dis disproportionate. Yeah, because we know which type of young people are getting or are more likely to get these sort of CBOs, as it were. Right? So then um, the other element of it is there's definitely, it feels like there's definitely a lack of rehabilitation once they enter the criminal justice system as well. So there's a lot of young people that I've come across in this music game where their soft skills, you know, maybe honours to the standard that um, they're supposed to be to kind of navigate in certain sections of society. Um, but they have no avenue to kind of amend that or correct that. So there's so many admin forms that I've had to fill out for rappers and artists and so on and so forth. Um that's kind of shown me like, okay, you know, there's something along the, there's something along this person's journey that didn't happen that was supposed to happen. There's so many artists who I've met who have said like, yeah, I was in a pupil referral unit from from primary school. So from then I just disengaged with the whole education system. And it's, it's those issues that I feel society do not want to take as much of an active hand in addressing and they only want to kind of touch on the surface stuff and say like, nah, their lyrics are crazy, man. Get them off the, get them off the internet. Okay, that's nice. But what's your, like, what else are we going to have in place for them, as it were? One thing that's taught me as well is that um, the UK, I think young people have been innovative enough to kind of build their own networks anyway and their own media platforms anyway. So in a way, when it comes to technology and communication, young people have been kind of like one step ahead. So um, regardless of what's happening on YouTube, if they're communicating crazy stuff on Snapchat, you're still none the wiser. Does that make sense? But then, um, you know, so in terms of even as a parent, 
to some degree, YouTube might give you more of an insight into what's happening to your local area than your child might give, if that makes sense. That definitely does. I think that also speaks to a systematic problem of, in a sense, treating the substance symptoms, but not actually focusing on the problems. I know in the past it's been talked about like the lack of community centres or lack of resources being available. So the kids are tapping into what they know. And they're talking about what they know and talking about the lived experience, but you're penalizing them for the lived experience, but you just kind of perpetuating the cycle. So that kind of speaks into people understanding a little bit more, not what's released in the media, but what's actually underlying, underlying all these things that you're seeing. And I want to ask you as a husband and um, as a father, how do you balance the, the life of mixtape madness and family life? To be honest, I think um. Going down the entrepreneurial route allowed me to establish the balance a lot better. Um, you know, I've always been open with my team. Like, I tell them, look, I do nursery drop-offs. I do school drop-offs. So I might have to, like, wake up really early and then between six and, um, no, let's say between five and 7.30, or, you know, I get some emails out or on a Sunday, schedule emails to be landing people's inbox in the morning and then I'll be doing a school run between eight and nine, for example. So I think, yeah, being entrepreneurship, uh, being getting into entrepreneurship has kind of allowed me to maybe balance the um, family life um, a lot better, as it were. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I've definitely been guilty of getting a balance wrong where I might do a crazy day where I'm just the whole day I'm just grafting. Um, but then on another day, I try to kind of balance it out where I'm like, cool so for the whole of today i'm gonna do the drop off i'll do the pickup and i'm gonna kind of designate it to family time do you know what i mean sometimes the mobile phone tries to confuse that situation but we're trying to manage that as well we're trying to manage that as well so <laughs> yeah um but it's it's, it's it's so important for me because i feel a you know when you're married you've kind of formed um it's a it's a very special sort of friendship do you know what i mean you know when you're young like you're on this last game like she's paying and all of this stuff and you're kind of more, you're encouraging more to kind of maybe just sexualize any concept of a relationship. Right. And I think when you're married, you kind of understand that there's a lot, there's way more. That's it. You know, when you're young, you think that real only issue in life with relationships might be your girl creeping. Right. Mm -hmm. Or cheating or something to that effect. So you hear young people say, like, oh, I'm gonna do my HPI check or my CRB check on this girl and so on and so forth. Um it's but it's only when you're in a kind of long term relationship that like, you kind of realise there's um there's so many other bigger things or bigger issues at hand than maybe worrying about someone stepping out on you or not. Um and I think in the environments that we grow up in, we're not maybe encouraged enough to kind of understand that. Or, do you know what I mean? So, for example, communication is so important. Do you know what I mean? So, for me, my communication always used to be terrible. I used to kind of just um, do my thing. No one's hearing from me for the whole day, crack on. But really, then you kind of learn, like, no, I can make the odd phone call to check in and so on and so forth and become less out of sight, out of mind, as it were. Um, so, um, I think... Yeah, the communication element, you kind of learn the importance of that. But I guess when you're married, the key thing is that you just kind of gain a new best friend, isn't it? Someone that you can kind of confide in and talk to. Um, iron sharpens iron. 
Um, so as much as you war with each other, you share a lot of good times with each other as well. And having children in the mix is kind of like just a signature of your union with that person as well. So I'm great. To be honest, I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my wife. Um, I'm grateful for the... Um, I'm I'm so grateful for just the individuals that kind of entered my life and allowed me to be the person um, that I am today. To be honest, um, especially in 2020, where gratitude is definitely the attitude. Real talk, real talk. Would you advise your kids to go down the entrepreneurship route, or would it be education, or is just whatever whatever they want to do? I don't think you need to divorce the two. And I think the reason why I say that is because if you're on point with your career, you're kind of treating your career like um, a business anyway, right? You know, you have your your you have your three year plan. Um, you have you kind of set your targets for how much you plan to earn, and so on and so forth. Which is, um, you know, there's similarities in that respect um, to a business as well. So I feel, you know, whatever my children will be passionate about take that direction and it's my job to kind of empower them and encourage them to do it. Um, my daughter's five and I always tell her like, cause sometimes she jokes about, I don't know how, but she knows about like, she's like, Oh dad, how come I can't have Snapchat or TikTok? And I'm like, you're five. How do you even know this stuff? Is good? You know what I mean? Like chill out. <laughs> um, but sometimes she's like, Oh, but when I'm famous, um, Da, 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 da. And I tell her like, yeah, when you're famous, not issue because I want to manage you. She said, no, you're not going to be my manager. You're not going to be my manager. So, yeah, I've kind of accepted that that's one occupation um, or that's one client that will not be on my books, as it were. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think you know, children. One thing I've learned that children are their own spirits. You know, what I mean, they take a bit of mum, they take a bit from dad, but they've got their own unique spirit and personality, and it's we've got to kind of just um, empower it and where they need to get checked, you check them. But I think, yeah, communication is just so important. Um, like a lot of people are like, wow, you don't beat none of your youths. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Sh-. Now, certain times I struggle with it, but no, nah, I don't, I don't beat them in it because I really want to just try to form that communication, like that dynamic where, they feel comfortable in speaking to me. Like I don't want to be too proud where I can't say sorry to my own child, if that makes sense. Um, but at the same time, I still try to keep it stern, stern and firm where required. But I know some people might see me my daughter and think different. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's definitely an interesting one. And um, I guess children in a way, they go through different stages, right? And so me, I'm yet to experience the teenage stage. Everyone tells me that that's when it gets crazy. So I'm still new to this. I need to be asking you. It's not, it's not crazy, man. It's so crazy. <laughs> Don't listen to no one. <laughs> Whatever stage in life they're going through, it's something happening. Trust me. So all the stages are all, all different but unique in their own way and all bring their own unique flavor where you have to learn and adapt. What would you say your... Your guiding principles are three guiding principles that you live by. My three guiding principles would be, A, it's so important to just kind of like be at peace with yourself and who, and accept who you are as a person. Do you know what I mean? So always find time to kind of just separate yourself from the noise. I've always think it's important to just be respectful. Just, yeah, reciprocate respect and then hopefully get respect back. 
And then I think the final one for me is just, you know, try to, you know, try to have a connection just beyond what you're seeing in the physical, do you know what I mean? Whether whether it's with Jesus, Allah, Buddha, whether you're just into your whole different type of spiritualism, as it were, you try to like, yeah, have have some form of a connection just beyond with life, just beyond the, the physical. Um, we're not here forever. Let's just make the most of our time while we are here. And um, yeah, pass the baton on down to the next generation. I'm sorry, I couldn't give you nothing profound, bro. But yeah, you put me on the spot. Oh, that doesn't need to be profound. This to be real. That's what I want the authenticity. So that's what you came with. That's what I came with, bro. That's what you came, that's what I came with. with. Apart from um, communication, what's the biggest lesson your marriage has taught you? It's encouraging me to, to try to see things from other people's paradigm. And with that, it's also taught me a level of patience. Does that make sense? Um, like, you know, the the first time, you know, your partner might be pregnant, for example. And um, I remember, the fact, there was a young, oh, I can't say the person's name. There's an artist, but I, I can't say that name. Um, but... You know, I think this is, the, this is their first time kind of being with a woman, well, getting a woman pregnant and kind of going through that process, right? And they would kind of gripe, like, right, oh, like, she just bare money, man. She get my pissed off. You get me? Because, like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, bro, it's the hormones, you know what I mean? You got to be patient with it. And even probably after the third trimester, baby comes, there's probably a bit of a fourth trimester, do you know what I mean? Because some women slip into, like, postnatal depression and so on and so forth. And, you know, pregnancy is a very delicate process. So, in, at this, at that stage, you gotta kind of be patient with her and kind of work through it. Um, and certain times, if you don't, not understanding, not, not having that level of empathy, or maybe understanding the demands of a pregnancy, that can have such devastating effects on their relationship in the long run, right? And um, yeah, so I think it's just having that level of. I think it's definitely taught me kind of patience and just try to understand other people's paradigms, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Does that make sense? And and, and that's why I always want people to maybe just try to understand our paradigm before they kind of make their conclusive judgment on it, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? And um, the reality of it is, is that I can't, I, I always remember saying that, like, I can't remember a year of my life when someone hasn't been, hasn't passed away due to murder in both Tottenham and Hackney, for example. Like me and I, I talked to someone from Hackney and we just said like there hasn't been a year in our life where someone just hasn't been murdered, for example, due to street violence and so on and so forth. So the, we're, we're in an environment where there's just been almost like generations of street culture long before any of these drill use came along. So in a way, these drill use have kind of inherited... Um, a culture or ecosystem or survival mechanism from at least four, three, four, five generations before them. Does that make sense? So when people are always talking about this stuff, so you're trying to unpack generations of stuff that's going on. Does that make sense? Like even me myself, before I was, before, you know, I was, um, I knew how to kind of put up a CV I knew all the correct measurements for certain illegal narcotics, although I never traded in them. Disclaimer for anyone that's listening. Do you know what I mean? But that's how um, prevalent or aware they were. Do you know what I mean? Even little stuff like when I was growing up, 
I think you'd only get um, three years for a firearm and you will come out one and a half years for good behavior. So just in my local estate, the amount of people I just visit and then like, rah, there's a fire, <laughs> there's just a firearm in their house. Do you get what I'm saying? So there's so much, um, it's so important to understand other people's paradigms before even trying to um, unravel, before trying to attack it or suggest solutions is all I'm saying. So, and I think the same logic applies to relationships. Like try to understand that person's paradigm whilst engaging in communication with them, as it were, and then um, crack on from there. But, and I'm not saying I encourage marriage for everyone, but I definitely do try to encourage um, long-term relationships for um, like for people, as it were. I think it teaches you a lot about your own personal character. Um, it teaches you about your strengths and your flaws. And I think, because being in marriage actually taught me um, a lot about even my flaws as a friend to other people. Do you know what I mean? And maybe how I could have um, improved as a friend and so on and so forth, just even beyond that marriage to other people. So, yeah, marriage is, has definitely been one of the one of my um, greatest life lessons and I'm grateful for it and I'm grateful for my wife. So, yeah, my love to her as well, big her up. And she don't even really, she don't even really listen to none of the music like that. She raised one, two, two artists, and then she, she, she supports her in. husband. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's mad. But it's mad though. People will hit her up on some. Yeah, like I heard your husband does this. Can you sort man out with an upload, or can you get man to the charts? What, bro? That's why I don't even bait up. What I do too much. Do you know what I mean? It's. I've told you. I've been in some of the most craziest situations. I've been at like um. I've gone to pick up my daughter once and then one other parent has kind of daps me and is like, wow, what are you from mixtape madness? I'm like, oh my gosh. I've even been, um, I went to, a rapper had a court case. I've gone to the court and then the barrister's like, yeah, like, wow, can you get me to the music game? Like, you would, you just don't understand how much or how important music is to certain people and their lives, as it were. So how would, um, I know you don't like the title, but how would you define... I'm not going to use CEO. How would you define leadership and your leadership style? My leadership style, boy. Yeah, I feel that it's all around, A, I try to remove the ego where possible, but B, I always try to kind of foster that team spirit, that team element, and working towards, yeah, those smart those smart objectives, as it were. Do you know what I mean? Um, I always try to encourage also collective feedback as it were but when you know tough decisions are made you can't shy away from them and you have to paint the reality of the situation and I think working as a financial analyst taught me that the most like if you try to keep everyone happy and your company and your company's numbers are going in the wrong direction it will just come back to you so when you do see warning signals you flag it you try to address it um in a respectful way but in a very firm and clear way and proceed forward from there and if there's a window of opportunity, consult with the team most definitely. And, you know, don't be scared to kind of jump through it, as it were. Um, those are the, I think, key, those are key things that kind of govern me in terms of um, leadership. And anyone that is in my team, my phone is always open to you. Do you know what I mean? So once you're part of the team, I see you as family. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it was gigs. Opportunities, 
yeah, I've just provided opportunities for next generation to take it further than I have. I want to continue to, yeah, like I feel doing the ecosystem merge with my passion for music has been has been great, has been magnificent. Um, but I don't, I'm not going to set my boundaries just to music. I want to try and build, you know, um, economies for my people around me. People are going to come up in various different walks of life, as it were. And, you know, if, if, if my legacy leads with that, then I'll be happy. Do you know what I mean? Like when I can put my, when I get to put people on that, um, I'm close with, that always brings a smile to me, you know, especially, no, let me correct myself. When I put people on that I'm close with who have got the relevant skill set and have shown the relevant hunger and passion, then yeah, that makes, you know, that makes me happy. Um, as it were, cause I, like I said, I, empowering people for me is definitely a barometer of accomplishment. Growth is a barometer for, of accomplishment for me. Do you know what I mean? So maybe when you ask me, like, how do I feel about a million views? I was probably more gassed about a journey from zero to 100K subscribers than I would be from 100K to a million subscribers, if that makes sense. Because I feel that that was a far more difficult task. And let me tell you, when you talk about empowering people, this is something that Card's been doing from, from day that He touched on a couple of things he was doing prior to Mr. Madness. But he's always been about mentorship, about developing, about nurturing. He's done that mixtape. He's doing that mixtape. He's done that within the music industry. And he keeps on doing it over and over again. So definitely support everything that um, you're doing, like going to court for artists, going to fight for the music and the industry in general. Like there's so many things that you do that a lot of people don't recognize or see, but it's great to have someone like you fighting the corner for up and coming talent and making sure that when the music gets out, but better yet, people actually have better lives. People from our community have better lives rather than living the stereotypical lives. So appreciate everything you're doing, bro. Come on. Don't say a word, man. And love to you as well, man. And thank you for having me on here. This is Everyday Leadership. See you soon. Don't forget, I have show notes on my website, everydayleadership.buzzsprout.com. So check that out. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe and tell someone else. Appreciate your support. I'll see you next time. This is Everyday Leadership.